I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Caesar Marin of Sketchbook Brewing. Serving our community, growler fills, tap room, restaurants and bars around us. Um, we, you know, very early on uh, added more tanks to the brewery. Um, and very early on started doing two turns a day, which I, I know there's still breweries that don't do that. Sure. Uh, hear more coming right up. But first, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. Hunapus might be their best-known barrel-aged beer, but the brewery doesn't stop there. In fact, it has a robust spirit-aged beer lineup that is worthy of your time and glass. Check out beers like Sun Over the Yardarm, a gin barrel-aged ale with lemon and lime zest, or Vulgar Expressions and Double Meanings, a brandy barrel-aged porter and brandy barrel-aged imperial stout blend with cherries and vanilla. Both are special releases from the brewery, and you can check these and more out at CigarCityBrewing.com. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with a smart and critical insight into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Welcome to the show. I'm John Hall, and Evanston, Illinois, is just north of Chicago and plays a big role in the temperance movement that swept the country a century ago. Frances Willard, the president of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, once lived there, and after Prohibition, the city decided to remain dry and did so until the 1970s, and it wasn't until 1984 that liquor stores were even allowed in town. So I was more than a little tickled when I sat down at Sketchbrook Brewing in Evanston with founder Caesar Marin to have a pint. The city has come a long way over the last few decades, and this brewery is now firmly a part of the fabric, so much so that it's currently undergoing an expansion. I first got to know Caesar a few years ago when we were both judges at the Sam Adams Longshot Competition, a contest that he had won himself just a few years earlier. In this conversation, recorded in his taproom on an autumn afternoon, we talked about juggling two careers and family, the tightrope walk that is distribution, and the thought and timing that goes into releasing specialty batches. We started off with a bit of his origin story, and I asked him how he found his way into homebrewing and eventually going pro. Here's our conversation. A couple of different things there. One was, uh, I, was um, I was in software development before that, um, for with the same company for about 10 years, got a little sick of the, of the, you know, people not really taking care of people in some ways, even though I was in customer services uh, and home brewing at the same time for about six, five, almost six years. Um, and uh, I always loved what, you know, the, the brewing part of it, like the camaraderie, even with just friends, which is not unknown for, for home brewers. This is exactly what it is, right? You invite a bunch of friends over. I wasn't that type. Okay. I was like, I want to hone my, my, what I'm doing. I want to create this, you know, this Pilsner at home and, you know, it's going to be similar to a great Pilsner out there. Um, but, uh, and through that process, um, the feedback that I wanted was from judges out, you know, judging, BJCP judges and whatnot. So I started submitting my, my entries kind of early on. Uh, as soon as I, I drank my own beer, yeah. <laughs> I started submitting the, uh, the, uh, the entries, and um, so, and it started started getting, you know, basically getting good results back, 
which just made me want to do it more and more and, uh, and, and thought like, wow, maybe someday I can make a switch. Uh, the, I, one of the jump starts was the fact that you know, Sam Adams, I submitted one of the, uh, the competitions they had and um, uh, they picked my beer to be one of them. That yeah. was 2013, that release was 2014, a very oddball beer. What was the beer? Uh, that was our Gorgiska, which is, as the name says, it was a Polish Post wheat, smoked, all, yeah. smoked wheat beer. Uh, a historical recipe. The only reason I made that beer at home was because I wanted to get into uh, water chemistry. Interesting. Beer is super simple. So my whole brewing history has been, um, basically, my whole interest has been scientific. Uh, less drinking, more scientific. Uh, so, so that that you know, winning that contest really kind of made me uh, kind of question why not do this now? And again, we're talking 2014 at this point. Um, it was also something that I, at the time, could use to market myself to friends and family to say, look, you know, Sam Adams picked up a, my recipe and they're gonna sell it to the entire country. So. You guys should help me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of like, but let's talk about like the water chemistry because that's one of those things where, like, I think like the the great home brewers that I've met are not necessarily the ones who are just getting the thing out of the, uh, you know, the Mister Beer kit, which is important. Like, I sure. mean, the, the the role that that has played is uh, you know can't be understated. But like, when you start getting like deeper and deeper and deeper and going down the rabbit hole. You know, like, you, you know, you start thinking about, you know, like make, making tinctures and working with, you know, single origin and, you know, trying all these different things. But I think, like, it's when the brewers get into the water chemistry that it's, like, that's when you're just not coming back, right? That's like, that's like you're, you've now rounded the bend. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I think there are, I mean, I don't know the number, but I know, I know a lot of home brewers uh, that started breweries and uh, if, Possibly the, you know, some of the biggest brewers that we know, you know, that, that were started by home brewers, yeah. at least by the interest coming from home brewing. And there's, I've seen, I've seen them all. I've seen the ones who want to do the eight, 15% beer, the ones that, excuse me, that want to put the, as much hops as possible. And I think there's something to be said about that kind of eagerness to push the envelope because that's the styles that are out there today that are really popular. Um, that people were like, I'm going to do this. Let's see what happens. And well, that's what craft was built on. Right. Now, the, I guess, but I didn't answer your question. Uh, your question was like, more like, you know, I got into that rabbit hole. It was hard, you know, then I, I got in it. Because, yes, the process, the science behind it, uh, and then coming up with a product or something that, you know, out of a hobby that I could actually uh, you know, share with friends, like within two weeks or three weeks, that was, it was kind of like a, a drug in itself. It was like, it was better than drinking a pint of beer. It was actually having... Uh, this this is actually a great memory. My um, we had I think it was uh, one of my daughters. We were having her birthday at home, and I was working from home at the time, uh, IT. And uh, I noticed that three or four of the parents stayed behind. So I went upstairs, and there here were these parents. They didn't just drop their kids. And I'm like, oh, well here's some homebrew, and they all stayed for three or four hours. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So Man, here we had like a six-year-old birthday. That, that's the power of really good beer because like most parents just can't wait to drop their kids off with somebody else and then like, you know, go take a nap or run an errand or something. So good on you they for stayed. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but when you get that, that sort of, you know, that, that 
you know, that drug high or that, you know, like when you're getting the positive feedback, right? Like there does come the certain point, like when you decided to go pro and I want to dive into that a little bit with you, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, like where you actually start getting like honest results because I think like homebrew feedback a lot of the time, unless it's a BJCP or something along those lines, it's going to be like skewed because people it's in our nature, I hope, to like make other people feel good. So it's like, hey, here's this, yes, you know, stout that I made, and your buddy is going to be like, wow, this is great. And that's, I think, we saw a lot of homebrewers get into it, and then they open up professionally, they get some money, they open up professionally, and they're making the same recipes. And now there's, you know, people who haven't known the the homebrewer or brewer since high school or whatever who are giving actual honest feedback, um, yeah. or maybe going too far in the other way as well. So like, how do you reconcile with that, like? that part of it as well because like if you're coming from IT if you're coming from things where there's a very analytical approach mm-hmm. you know there's there must have been something that was driving you where it's just like alright well people are saying it's it's good but like is it really like does it as does a, the math work yeah no exactly as a, as a home brewer I mean I uh, I knew that from the beginning because you're, you're absolutely right I mean you're you know you know, everybody wins kind of situation like when you're when you're when you're in a club when you're it's almost like that for everything, and we're almost, you know, we see our kids being educated that way. You know, you yeah. all, everybody, even if you lose your game, you still win. You know, like it's it's to encourage people to continue participation doing it. trophy, participation, yeah. which is great. But that's not what I wanted out of it. You know, like so I, even though I took, I took the feedback from my fellow homebrewers back in the day, uh, I picked the one or two, or maybe three that I knew would actually tell me, because they would tell other people that that's just not good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> why did you do this? Um, and and that's why I jumped in right away with some some submitting beers to some competitions. And I think it was my year two or three of homebrewing that I, I was like I, I I gotta get this BJCP certification because not because I wanted to go judge other people's beer. But yes, I did, but also because I wanted to learn with it and learn to be you know, to be more critical. Um, now that is very different on the to, to, in my perspective on the professional. Uh, brewing world where you can basically just throw all that out if you want or continue you know adoring those feedbacks because you're gonna now you're dealing with you're putting a product out there whether it's seven barrels or 50 barrels um, it may not be what the style says it is right but if you're getting a f- feedback as in your beer sells and it sells well and you like it and your customers like it, there's something to be said about that as well. Because that, I mean, that that brings up a really interesting point because there are breweries that still follow Reinheitsgebot or say they do or, you right. know, like we're only going to brew traditional methods or, and I think that like that, that's fun a lot of the times, but like I've been saying for years, like styles don't exist anymore, you know, like, you know, something that has hops in it now, like, you know, how many IPAs do we have, you know, and okay. like the IPAs of today are so far removed from the IPAs of 30 years ago, which are so far removed from the IPAs of 300 years ago yep. that like it you almost get pigeonholed in a certain thing. Like, there's certain things that we should come to expect. Like, we're drinking your Oktoberfest right now, and, like, if this was overly hoppy or, you know, had, like, a Belgian yeast in it, I'd, I'd, I'd call bullshit on you. Right. But, like, <laughs> but there's certain tenants that you're going to hit, and it's... So when you transitioned to the professional realm, was that hard to sort of let some of that go, some of that BJ certification, some of that, you know rigidness that exists it wasn't at the beginning because that's how we open ourselves as being like you know we're going to make stylistic beers uh we did and we still are we still live to that you can see on our board we have many of them 
know, in English, uh, ESV and uh, Berliner Weiss and, uh, and the Oktoberfest and, you know, IPAs that actually have bitterness in them. <laughs> Some that <laughs> don't. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, uh, but it was it was actually not difficult. There's going to be, there, like, after this airs, there's going to be people with, like, pitchforks and torches <laughs> and, you know, bespoke um, suspenders standing outside of your uh, your door. It's almost more difficult nowadays when uh, when uh, we're, we're, you know, faced with the challenge of, like, hey, you know, aren't you going to be on the trendy beers? At least we are. We have one or another. We have a milkshake IPA. We have a, uh, we're not trendy by any means, but we jump on uh, because we have – uh, basically a clientele uh, to take care of right? um, and, and some people like that so that is actually the you know st- staying true to, to the styles of the JCP actually wasn't difficult in the first year or so or two it became more difficult as we continue to grow and continue to be challenged by uh, the new I want to say the new drinkers uh, that perhaps is true but people changing their palates and changing their ideas of, you know, uh, of what, let's say, an IPA is once they start drinking New England IPAs, right? Yeah. Um, is it an IPA based on what IPAs were 50 years ago, even 20? Absolutely not. But it is what but some people... But it's not even what it was five years ago. No, exactly. But it is what some people are drinking as their first beer, and that's what they think it is. Um, so it's, it's, it is a clash. It's... It, uh, at some point, I think we need to redefine some of those names. <laughs> where would you start? <laughs> if you could form the committee, where would you start? Yeah, it's a, it's a, t- it's a tough one. I, I don't know for sure. because You I brought it up, man. It. I brought it up, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think the whole idea of IPA is, is more marketing than, than is uh, what you're drinking. If you say it's an IPA, people grab it without even asking who, where it's coming from. Is it 60 or 90 IBUs or NA, as you see sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would start by dropping that. You know, let's see what happens. <laughs> I don't know. I, I keep thinking, like, as soon as you said that, let's see what happens. I had Ghostbusters in my mind where it's like dogs and cats living together, pandemonium. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, but, like, I think that's a tough thing for, for, for people to reconcile. But, like, these days when I walk into a brewery and I see IPA on, like, I now have to ask, is it hazy or not? You know, and I'm – Still a traditionalist. I enjoy the newer styles, but like you know, I, I like a nice West Coast IPA or like yeah. an original British IPA or you know something like that. You know, like where there is that snap of bitterness. Right. But I also know that like you know, there's new generations of drinkers who have come up who like only know DDH Citra Mosaic and you know lactose and everything else that's in there. And if you try to give them a Sierra Torpedo or even a you know like a Bell's Two Parted or something, it's like they're gonna. Like, no, this is what my dad drank, and you know, and it's <laughs> so. So you'd start there, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I like. But our, how do you reconcile like the old world versus like the new, or like the old style versus the new style? Because you have both on right we now. We have both on right like. now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we we actually uh, decided to put hazy on the on our cans of insufficient clearance when we did that as our first uh, hazy beer. We didn't really call it New England because it wasn't overly sweet. It was mm-hmm. light. It's five percent. But it had all the other components, right? It had the haziness, it had the fruity yeast, uh, it had the biotransformation that you're looking for, the, 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 you know, the, the hop flavors, low bitterness, you name it. Um, but it was super low. It wasn't the 8% they used to find, at least at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so we didn't feel right calling it a New England IPA. But the IPA stayed in the name. We call it Hazy IPA. Because um, that sells. That sells, and that's, I mean, and I... It, not, it's not just the marketing part of it. It's also as a, as a consumer myself. Um, you know, we, we we want things that we know. You're making a 
you, a consumer, is making a, a, an investment when they pick up a four-pack or a six-pack or even a pint at a bar. Uh, we want them to feel comfortable that they're getting something that they know, right? They know, they, because they heard, either because they're a new drinker and that's all they know because they started drinking IPAs like that, or somebody who actually you know, did drink a, a real sort of English, more English IPA back in the day, um, and then those are the ones who are going to be surprised, right? Because <laughs> they're going to open that and go like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's a, yeah, it's a tough one. More with Caesar up next, but just a quick word from our sponsor, Cigar City Brewing. Check out all the barrel-aged beers that Cigar City Brewing has to offer, including Excessive and Lustful Kissing, an American whiskey and rye whiskey-aged barley wine-style ale with cherries and vanilla added. At 14.4% ABV, you'll find aromas of toffee, dark fruit, and strawberry shortcake that meet the unmistakable presence of whiskey and oak on the nose. Learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com. And now, back to Sketchbook Brewing in Evanston, Illinois. So we're in Evanston, which is a suburb north of Chicago, for those who don't have a map readily available. And uh, it's, a, it's a fairly nice suburb. It's a, you know, leafy streets and uh, grand old homes. And um, I, I imagine that opening up here... Um, like you needed to have a lineup of beers that wouldn't necessarily be, you know, the trend chasers. And that's not, I don't think that's what you ever wanted to be or, or designed to be, but like, you know, but I imagine that when you first opened up five years ago and you were like one of the first in this area, right? Of yeah, we were the second, uh, pat, you know, second brewery. There were, there was a, a brew pub open already at that time, but yeah. yeah. But you need like when people were coming in for the first time, and you know locals like you 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 needed beers that were going to at least ring somewhat familiar to them. Absolutely, um, but there was another uh, another wrench thrown in there. Okay, which was uh, the fact that when we opened, I mean, Evanston was the seat of the temperance movement. It was dry until 1972 or three when yeah. the first you know the hotel was able to serve wine. And I've only been here for ten years, so I don't have that history other than my readings but and apparently that hotel had to basically in order for you to get a glass of wine i think it was in the menu at the time you had to actually order food first and they were really clever they apparently put the fries on the main course on the, on the entrees <laughs> to be able to sell you, you know, fries and then uh, you could order a beer or wine um so does that still live today is that still part of the are, community there are ramifications of it that you can still see around for example there are no bars in evanston okay so this is a tap room this is a brewery and a tap room. It's a whole different license. Um, if you go to, I mean, there was, you know, there's other places in town that, that function more like what you think is a bar, but they have a huge kitchen component. You cannot just open your corner bar. Uh, they will not license. There is no category of license. Which is so crazy to think of how close we are to Chicago and the lawlessness and the bootlegging and the everything <laughs> else that sort of happened that like here we are, what, like 10 miles north, 15 miles well, north? 10 miles from downtown, but yeah. we're basically just a mile and a half, two miles from the border. From the border, yeah, but Park. yeah, but like, yeah. Yeah. So, but, right, but you're, you still feel a little bit of that today? Like, are there Not so people much. who I walk mean, by with side eye or something? No, or? no, we, okay. don't, we, don't, we don't see that at all from, from people, from customers, uh, uh, especially not from customers. They wouldn't come in here. Um, there, there's a little bit of that, but it's not so, something that you see too much around. Um, and, and Evanson has at least since I've been here. And when I speak, when I give tours and talk to people that have been here for 30, 40 years, uh, they are the ones who say like, wow, has Evanston changed? You know, when I lived here, when I was a, a 22, I had to go to Skokie or to, to Rogers Park to buy right. beer. 
Um, but, uh, uh, but back to the styles that we offered and, and, yeah. and how we, well, so we had the challenge that when we were licensed to have a brewery here, we didn't have the tap room that we're sitting in right now uh, for about a year and a half since we opened. Um, we basically opened the back through the alley uh, for people to come in and taste two ounces of beer. We could only give you three, two ounces we had to, per day. That okay. was our license. Could not sell you those. Uh, and then you took a growler home. So you're making a much bigger investment. You're now taking 64 ounces of beer home. Um, so we, we did bring to those people beers that were not 10%. We didn't make a barley wine <laughs> because that wouldn't, that wouldn't drink it. <laughs> and, uh, or it'd kill you. Yeah. yeah. And things that were, were, um, <laughs> were people were familiar with uh, in some ways and could actually drink a growler when they went home within two days, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how – that's kind of like our – in some ways what helped define us. Uh, and then we opened the tap room, and then we kind of let loose a little bit, right? <laughs> well, because when you have people who come in, I mean, that's the thing. Everybody who comes in is coming in for their love of beer, but everybody has – unless you're saying to your, you know, to your clientele, like, oh, we only do spontaneous, or we're only a lager house, or we're only an X, Y, or Z, like, people are going to come in and sort of expect variety. And, I mean, it's the – you know, middle of the afternoon on a Tuesday right now, and it's it's fairly crowded in here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a huge space, but like, you know, like, and everybody's drinking something different. It looks like so, like you have to have that on offer. What's the difference though between what goes out into the marketplace and does really well versus what does really well here in the tap room? Um, and oh boy, did we have to we learn we had to learn that the hard way. Okay. <laughs> Um, we, we started self-distributing, obviously, and I recommend that to every brewery. And then uh, once we started getting accounts that were 10 miles away, 20 miles away, uh, we're like, well, we gotta, we got to sign with a distributor. I know it's not going to be easy, but at least they have the logistics, right? Um, and uh, however, what we had was we had 10, diff- that 10, 12 different styles of beer, and then they are not, distributors are not prepared for that, right? I mean, you're just picking up a new brand, a small brand, and now you have, what, 12 beers? So we had to basically, over the last three years or so, kind of hone that down and have more variety at the tap room for people to come to buy it here. Yeah. And then to the distributors, we ship like four different styles, uh, except for a couple of distributors that we'll pick up. They're really good at selling anything that we have. Um, so we still do variety, but we kind of keep you know, some of it to the tap room. Um, so we created a couple of mainstays um, from the beginning. So our, our our Orange Door IPA, which is more of a true IPA, <laughs> and um, um, and the, the Hazy IPA, those became uh, you know became the beers that everybody kind of knows uh, out there, um, and we have that in all the distribution channels, and and the tap room, interestingly enough, those are still the two that sell the most. Really? Yes. So um, anytime, we, however, anytime we put a new beer on, so the Oktoberfest comes, and of course. Maybe that's not a great example because people are expecting that right now, and it is a stylistic. It's a great beer, uh, but as soon as we put something new at that particular week when we release it to the tap room, that beer almost it scratches the uh, the number of pints we sell. The you know, Orange Door, Orange Sufficient Clearance, it doesn't quite surpass it. Okay. So those two have become so strong in the last you know four years of tap room that is a kind of amazing to see. Um, even the trendy beers that we put out, when we put out like you know, our milkshake IPA, it doesn't quite surpass Orange Door. We have some people that, you know, true 
true uh, customers that that's what they want. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great to see. I love that. It brings up sort of something else that I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, because you know, we're, we're now sort of like walking down like the beer sales uh, route. Uh, I'm just looking off into the distance. Like yeah. I, you don't have the... Yeah, I'm, gazing off as I'm talking to you as we're sitting in the tap room and I thought you thought I was looking at something else um, um, but when you come out with a trendy beer as you say or you come out with a special re- uh, release I think that there's some breweries that are known for continuously doing that every mm-hmm. week is going to be something different every week is going to be something new and there's this sort of hamster wheel kind of running thing that, that, that exists you're not doing that all the time right I mean you're it's it's sort of targeted it's okay we're going to do this can you still build the hype around special releases if does it make it more special does it make it uh, different somehow like if you're not the brewery that's necessarily known for doing that we, we still, we're still quite successful at creating a little bit of hype on, on those releases yeah um, do we, is it we the be, power of social media? I think so, and, and our own customers basically. Um, that you know, they'll, they'll, you know, if you're an orange door drinker, you're going to come in and you trust what we make here. So they're like, oh, I'm going to try that. So that person will buy a pint, or will buy a four pack potentially. Um, if we were just a trendy brewery, probably would have been different, I think, because you know, I've seen some of those. I, I know some of the, those yeah. those breweries around and. And it's like, you know, it, it's, I feel like for the, for the consumer that is after those, um, we only have a percentage of those here. We don't have, we're not the, um, you know, we, we don't have the consumers that are like, oh, if I don't get it now, it's going to be gone and I'll never be able to get it. Um, there, are, there are some, yeah. but it's not the bulk of our customers. Um, so we're not, in that sense, that's why I mentioned before, like we're, we're, we don't have that, those followers the bulk of our customers are not those followers. Let's put it. Okay. Way. We have a percentage, but not it's not crazy. So we do power social media is amazing. Uh, we noticed in the past that by scheduling those, uh, by spacing them out a little bit more than every week, uh, we get a better engagement from 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 that you know call it hype. Yeah. Than if we did just did it every other week. Do you also find that if people come in for special releases that they might walk out with some of your core beers as well? I just speaking by observation, sure. I know that anecdotally, yes, yeah, it does happen. Yeah, yeah, we got a new customer coming in because they heard, or they come in only for that. They'll they'll pick up something else. So, moving around a little bit. So, you had a day job, or going back to to what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is this is always I think. I've gotten this question from home brewers uh, in the past and, you know, people have started their own breweries and or are thinking of starting their own breweries. It's when do you know it's the right time? And it's such a personal question because, like, you know, you don't know what else anybody else has going on in their life or, or anything else like that. What was it for you, though, when you and your family decided, like, you know, because I assume your family, I've yep. met your wife and she's <laughs> lovely. And, you know, I imagine she was involved in this conversation. Um, you know, like, like, what was it that said, okay, like, maybe I'll keep the day jump for a little bit. But, like, if I don't do this now, right, I'll be 80 and I regret it on my death, whatever it is. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I don't know. But, like, I think it's walk a, me through that. It's a little bit of everything. But for, I'll, I'll you know, I'll speak my, my personal experience was I did keep my day job for two years. 
because I, I knew I would be completely, it would be completely idiotic to just quit and start this and think that in three months I'm going to start making money. No, we're still, we're still, you know, struggling out there too. Sure. Because there's always new things, always changes. So um, I kept my job for two years uh, and then it kind of naturally came to an end. Uh, the company got split up and my team got, you know, let go for at that point. And I was like, I'm not going to pursue, I'm going to dedicate to sketchbook right now. And this was uh, December of 2015. Um, but before that, uh, it was a lot of careful consideration and a little, and quite a bit of a leap of faith kind of jumps, which is more personal to me. I will, you know, I will do those things to, yeah, to prove to myself like, well, you know, I, I, I'm usually like I start a lot of projects at home, and I know I can't finish, but if I start, I will finish eventually. So it's almost like you know, just pushing it out there. So. Uh, Long story There's short. spouses who are listening right now just oh, sort gosh. of cringing and being yeah. like, oh, you're one of those guys, huh? <laughs> so I, one day, and by the way, my wife, Amy, has been amazing and she, she always she's, supported She's me. lovely. She's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there was a little bit of everything, though. There was the fact that I was getting burned out. I was burned out by my previous job. Could I go get another one? Absolutely. Um, but uh, she's supported me on this. She loves beer. That helped a lot tremendously. Sure. Um, and... Uh, you know, one day there was a U-Haul that pulled up on our alley, and uh, guess what? It was you know a two-barrel brew, sort of. We never used it. A two-barrel direct fire brew house that came over from a small brewery in Indiana that I had met one time, and they were upgrading. And I said, "Here's a check." I wrote a personal check of forty-five hundred dollars. <laughs> Amy knew that you were doing that, right? She she knew. I don't think she believed it. Um, and then. Um, and then, uh, and then one day she opened the garage, and those things in my garage, they looked enormous. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, that coupled with the fact that I was dedicating myself to the craft at home, with the fact that I was getting burned out, the fact that I was doing some, a lot of work, I didn't, you know, we, when I met my business partner, um, Sean, a resident here for over 30 years, also part of the Homebrew Club, also one of those people that I actually talked to a lot in the Homebrew Club, because I knew he would give me good feedback and he also expected it yeah uh as as opposed to oh wow this is great that this lobster beer you made is awesome <laughs> like okay maybe it's exactly what you're trying to do but it's not awesome <laughs> there's not a ton of diacetyl in it i don't want your lobster beer um so basically what i showed him was the equipment in the garage uh he knew my beers i knew his and i showed him a spreadsheet with which was nothing like we have today but it wasn't just a back of the napkin we can do this let's make money look at everybody else it was it was well thought out. We, you know, I had some books that I've been reading already. So, um, but nonetheless, it was a it was a, a leap of faith. Uh, it's still scary to be honest. You know? <laughs> Sometimes we're just actually in the middle of a of, a, of an expansion. I know. Right I now. want to talk to you about that uh, in a minute. Yeah. Which you know, it's, it's just ever more. <laughs> but when you have that, so so you kept the jump for two years, and then I think. Some people might argue that it was sort of fortunate that, like, it came to a natural conclusion Absolutely. and then you could focus on it. But that first two years, though, yeah. like, when you like you have to have your head in the place that's writing you checks, you know? And then you have to have the place your head in the place where you're writing a lot of checks. Right. Um, those are two really difficult things to reconcile. And I think that there's a lot of people who have found themselves in that situation. H- how did you manage it? Um. Lots of hours. Did you manage it? 
I think I did. Well, I did. I'm here now. Yeah. Still alive. <laughs> and not, not, not much less gray. No, uh, you're, I guess you're not. You're doing all right. It's, uh... um, you know, long hours. I, I was very fortunate, though. That's for sure. I, I was able to, you know, when I was looking for a partner, um, you know, Sean teaches at uh, SAIC, and he has a flexible schedule. I don't know what SAIC is. Uh, uh, it's the School of Art, uh, the Art Institute in Chicago. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, and he, um, you know, he has a flexible schedule. When he's out, he's out. But then there are times he can be here. And uh, I believe when we started, he was uh, he was teaching less than the normal. Um, and I was working from home, so I didn't have to go to an office at nine o'clock in the morning. That would have sure. been that would have been ridiculous if, we, if I tried to do that. And I know some people that have, and some didn't succeed, and some did. Um, so I was basically here at five in the morning. Uh, would start the day, start the mash, and by eight thirty, my first meeting, I moved my office to where the brewery is. My home office now was, you know, a brewery office, um, and got a really nice set of, you know, noise canceling headphones. It's important. I remember yeah. talking to actually Amy again. So like, can you hear this? And she'd be like, what? I'm like, good. That means I can have a meeting while I'm running the sparge <laughs> and the pump is on. <laughs> <laughs> now, if, I, if my old, my old bosses uh, hear this, they're like, I knew he wasn't the well, I, so all right. So you brought it up. I was gonna be polite and not. To, did they know like that you were like sitting in your that you were mashing they did. in? Okay. I I, I was. Uh, I never hit it. Um, okay. In fact, I mean, when I was starting. Because that's this, important too, yeah, right? Yeah. The company. I mean, the company was in uh, is in Indianapolis, and I uh, I was, you know. Naptown. I was a I was a remote employee from the beginning, actually. So they were used to never never seeing me more than once a month, and now I'm showing up with beer every month. Uh -huh. well, that's pretty nice. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I was kind of popular in that sense. <laughs> but uh, but the, no doubt there was a, you know there was a lot of uh, you know it was, it was difficult like you said I, I, I had to pay attention to the job that was writing me the checks um, and for the first time in my life uh, I started fearing that like oh am I not am I not doing enough because now I'm dividing my time with the brewery. Um, I timed myself a couple of times, and it was like a hundred, over 100 hours a week that was clocking between the brewery and the other job. So basically, I was on all the time. So I think I was devoting my time to both, but uh, nevertheless, I was always worried about, and I could always spend more time at the brewery. Um, so, And family balance as well, though. I mean, I think that's one of those things that we forget about. I mean, even in you know my various reporting jobs as well, of like, if you are working remotely, which I have for years, it's like your office is wherever you are at any given moment but then like you got the kids running around you know your ankles and it's like what's more important this email that came through or you know yeah let's go play you know with dolls for a few minutes and you know have a good time and you know like it but so like two jumps plus plus family yeah yeah no it yeah it's uh i i uh i have a friend who's also sort of involved in the brewery he's uh, one of the early investors and he is a chiropractor moving from a practice to starting his own practice. And I joked with him the other day, I said uh, that, uh, uh, yeah, if you, wanna, if you think you're gonna have more time with your family when you own your own business, you're absolutely right if your family is in the business. <laughs> well, so, so I'm looking I see my around. wife all the time. Yeah. She's, she works here. And then my kids, now that they're 10 and eight, you know, because I, I live only a mile away, um, they, they're either here sometimes or you know, I jump over there uh, twice a day sometimes and uh, uh, so that balance um, although it's not perfect 
I'm not gone from nine to seven, which is what I hear from people that work in the loop. You know, they're not gonna get home until seven. Yeah. I'm actually around, and I could go pick up the kids at three thirty-five at school if I need to. It may mean that I have to bring them here at the brewery to fold the uh, uh, boxes. Right. <laughs> well, that's, hey. all, that's good labor. That's, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, they get allowance money, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, so you're in this expansion phase right now. And I think that uh, I, I, I've known you for a few years now. And uh, we judged a Sam Adams competition a couple years ago. And I got to know you uh, uh, through that and then, you know, talking afterwards and everything. But, like, I, I, I'm really sort of fascinated about these these questions of, like, when do you know when it's time to X? And it seems like you've had a lot of experience in this. And so you're now in the middle of this expansion or nearing the end of, of, of this big expansion. Five years in, I'm curious as to, well, one, I mean, tell us about the, the expansion project. But then is it just waking up one morning and you're, like, you've had this revelation of like, okay, <laughs> Like, this is going to be available to us, or maybe this can be available to us, and let's start exploring. Like, how do you get to, how do you get to that? Because I think that's the fear that a lot of breweries have right now. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, a lot of it is lady luck. A lot of it is, you know, rolling the dice and seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, calculated moves as to when to do it. And you strike me as somebody who sort of lives a little bit in both worlds. Yeah, I mean, I... Yes, and I'm, and I'd be remiss to say that we've done everything the perfect way, and we would never change how we did things. Absolutely not. And uh, um, you know, I I can name ten things I would have done differently, but but that's now. You know, when we were doing what we we're doing four years ago, three years ago, that is what was safe and calculated at the time, um, and uh, with with a little bit of leap of faith too, because of course when you have a business, well, right now we're, you know, we're we're growing our business, but. Um, based on experience that we had before you know and there's still a little bit of that thought that's like wow but we're going to have to go from 2500 barrels to you know 4500 to 6500 to yeah. make sure that we can pay the bills <laughs> so, um, so it was a combination of calculated risks um, with very little experience right because we, we did not come from the brewing world right neither me neither my, my, my business partner um, I have a little bit of business background like grassroots business from my parents that you know ever since I've been alive they've had a business basically uh, this is back in Brazil and they're still there after 40 years or so with the business uh, stronger now than they were 20 years ago yeah which is kind of relieving to me to see that you know but hard work um, so you know we, we, we've been doing this kind of slowly uh, I, we like to call it I like to call it uh, organic uh, but that's just the way it worked for us um, and uh, we have a, you know, a, a beautiful, nice, huge community around us. We, uh, you know, just, a, you know, a, a, a way to measure that in some ways. Back when we started, we did the tap room and a little bit of expansion on the back. We did a, a Kickstarter. Boom, we're funded in four days. We thought long and hard. Why, why do we do this? Are we going to set ourselves for failure if we don't meet it? Yeah. It was, it was I think it was actually three days when we were funded. Jesus. And, and we repeated this time. Because of the, we're expanding the tap room, um, and uh, of course we can always do more. So, um, and we were again funded within three to four days. And that sort of goes to what we were talking about earlier, though, of 
it's a difference between your friends telling you that you're doing really good versus the public telling right. you, yes. you know, the truth. But like that's an endorsement of you doing yeah. really well. It absolutely is, and, and and these are people that I, I probably I don't even know half of them, and they are. Right, they're giving us a huge endorsement that, like, you know, we, we trust, we believe in you, we want you here. Uh, you know, we, we told them a, you know, several things that we will do, like, you know, create a, a relaxed, you know, comforting sort of, you know, community space. Uh, still no TVs, and, you know, we'll spend money on a much nicer chairs and, and uh, <laughs> area. Right? We can always throw, you know, the, the cheap stuff around, but, uh, and, uh, well, they believe in us. Because can can I just them. point out that, like, the biggest thing, Lou Bryson taught me this years ago. Uh, so Lou Bryson, who's been writing about you know beer and whiskey and everything for, for, for a really long time. Uh, early on in my writing career, he told me uh, that you could judge a place by the padding on their chairs. And if they had padding, they actually cared about keeping customers around longer, longer and keeping them coming back. And you know, I know you have some that don't. Some but do, like, some don't. But, but we're sitting on we're sitting on stools that have like a little bit of a little bit of cushion on them right now. And that it's a small thing that most yeah. people don't think about until like you get up after forty five minutes and like your ass hurts. Yes. Like it's <laughs> so good. On, like, but yeah. even just to put that out there to people kind of shows me that you're that you're thinking about this type of thing. All right, so you're doing yeah. a. You're expanding the tap room. Yes, we are expanding the current tap room where we're sitting here. But we're going to expand north of our tap room, basically taking the space. They used to be a dentist for 27 years. Cool. They're still around. They just bought a building. Okay. So great for them. Uh, we never thought that possible because why would they move? Right. So we we took the space right away, and uh, it's essentially more seating, you know, to put it simply. But it will increase our seating from 23 to about 80. Wow. Yeah. That's significant. Significant. Now, with the, we're actually going to put a little stage in there for more more music, uh, and you know, just make it more comfortable. So it's 23 in the space that we're in right now. And have you found that limiting? Have you found that there are people who walk by and they see that it's sort of at capacity, and then they just kind of all the time. Okay. And and you know, there are, there are the ways we can we can know right away. Phone call. I have a a group of 10. Can I come over? Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. If you called me 25 minutes yeah. ago, maybe. And then yeah. just observing the uh, the window. You know, yeah. People just come by and they kind of look. Uh, maybe they left a restaurant with a group of five or six, but they're not going to find seating. Um, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Tuesday afternoon, and, and it looks you know fairly busy. Um, and uh, it's true. And uh, you look at well, a there, Friday. There, there's seven people plus us, so it's nine right now. Right. Yeah. Out of 20 seats or sure. so. so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after about four or five o'clock on a Thursday. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all day. Um, people are standing. We would not be doing this. <laughs> so, would you have looked at alternate spaces? So, um, we really did not want to do that because, um, and we Because that's the first thing that like people correct. would ask, yeah. And the big reason for that is that, uh, which I didn't mention before, but a big reason for why I wanted to start a business, and a big reason for why my business partner, who just walked by the other day, um, joined me on this venture, uh, was that uh, both of us, in some ways, had something in common. Not only the beer was one thing in common, but making beer, but the other one was creating a place in our community, right? Um, and uh, if we left here, that, that would be gone. Like the number one, number one or two reason would have been just, just vaporized. So. 
uh, we did not want to and we do not intend to ever leave here. Um, we created this amazing community around us. Uh, we've heard from even from some some people that moved in in the last year or so into an apartment nearby that that was part of the amenities said near brewery. <laughs> so we love that. Yeah. Um, so for us, you know, we have a great relationship with the uh, with the owner of the building, um, and uh, we we have you know all the intentions to stay here for a very very long time. Um, and you're expanding into a new place as well, though. Like, correct. So, it's so separate. The challenge has always been, um, and it has always been with uh, keeping up with our volume um, you know, from the early days where I had that two and a half barrel brew system in the garage, which we never turned it on. Yeah. Luckily. Uh, we decided to go with a seven barrel, which if you Where ask me now. Where is that now, by the way? Um, another brewery bought it. Another person bought it to start a brewery, and okay. uh, they, they, they didn't make it. Uh, okay. After a little while, they actually upgraded, and you know, yeah, they're not around anymore. Okay. But we were able to get rid of it. <laughs> get rid of it. it didn't fit in my garage. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, if you ask me now, I would have started with a 15 barrel system, but would have been right? I don't know. Probably not. Um, and uh, so we always had trouble with, uh, with keeping volume. Uh, we started out serving our community, growler fills, tap room, restaurants and bars around us. Um, we, you know, very early on uh, added more tanks to the brewery. Um, and very early on started doing two turns a day, which I, I know there's still breweries that don't do that. Sure. Uh, <laughs> if I may mention, name, mention names, uh, a yeah, good friend, uh, Doug Hurst from Metropolitan, one day said, well, if you're not doing two turns, you're not working yet. <laughs> you're just playing. <laughs> Jeez. He's right. Uh, and um, so, and, and we, we do contract brewing right now. Okay. So we're contract brewing with Great Central uh, in Chicago. And uh, so we've always had this challenge of like, you know, we can do more, but we need our own space. And, 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 and let alone just the space. You know, we, we started canning, I want to say about two and a half years ago. Um, we usually don't have space to put any of the, uh, the cans. Yeah. <laughs> So we, we, we were looking for a space for the last two years or so to, um, to then kind of start the machinery of getting, you know, getting a, a, an investment in place or, or, or a loan for a bigger brew house. And, um, you know, it's not always easy to find a 10,000, 15,000 square foot warehouse space with 20 foot ceilings. Yeah. So I, it was a lot harder than I realized. So we, uh, we finally found one, and it's, uh, it's in Skokie. It's only about seven minutes away. It's on Main Street, which is just north of us. Okay. So it'll be a quick jog. We also want it to be in a place where we can go back and forth fairly quickly. Yeah. You know, we're not for, you know, we're here and there uh, almost simultaneously. Um, and that's been, it's been, uh, you know, last eight months or so working with the village there and uh, the owner of that building. Uh, it's been, you know, great to see how that, this partnership seems to be something that's going to go really well um, and you can have a tap room there as well yes we can and okay. uh, i think we we just posted uh the city made an announcement the village of skokie i should say made an announcement uh, last week um lots of excitement we've getting been getting a lot of uh, feedback on social media um and uh you know we made it really clear that there's no moving we're right. expanding <laughs> we just found the right building somewhere outside of town what's your what's your plan for because I found this curious because there's now so many breweries that open up secondary locations nearish by, right? So, like, 
seven miles away isn't necessarily going to cannibalize your business here. It can mm-hmm. only add to it. You know, it's it's not like the you know like the Starbucks model where there's one on every corner in New York City <laughs> or in downtown Chicago because people don't want to cross streets. Right. You know, so like it's easier for Starbucks to, to do that kind of thing. But like breweries, for the most part, like if you're if you're going to open up a, a secondary place, like you want it to be where it's going to appeal to people, but like it's not going to cannibalize you know, from where you, you currently are. Do you expect to have a similar vibe there as you do to here? Is it going to be different enough for the beer travelers and, and you know, tours, like where, you know, or the people who tour around visiting breweries where it's like, all right, well, I can come here and then I can drive seven miles and I'm going to mm-hmm. get different beers, different experience, or is it just going to, is it going to have a little bit of that, not homogenization, but... Right. Um, well... We, we hope to, uh, to create a very similar community feel to it. Okay. Is it going to be the same thing? No, it's going to be different. I mean, but we, we, we feel that uh, Skokie is, uh, has a very similar kind of like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a suburb of, of, of Chicago, the, first, you know, like the next suburb of Chicago, and there's a lot of people that work, that live there and work in Chicago and vice versa. Um, so we feel like we, we will be able to have something similar, like, you know, um, there. But the space is going to be different. You know, it's going to be a little less. We're right across from the from the track here, from the metro and the uh, and the purple line. Um, over there, we're near the train, but it's not across the street, so it's going to be a little more laid back. Uh, we don't have outdoor seating here. There's going to be a possibility to have outdoor seating there. So it, it's going to be different uh, no matter what. We're still going to try to keep to our, you know, sort of true beliefs, which is you know, no TVs. Uh, to encourage conversation uh, and uh, but we're not going to make them look different or look exactly the same either yeah so. um, I mean one of the things with as far as like community goes and as far as you know trying you know different beers and different or uh, you know having like a, a space that sort of encourages uh, you know free thought and not necessarily you know mindlessly watching tv like i've noticed like true to your name uh you have these blank coasters and at every table are uh colored pencils that you know people are drawing on and and, and sort of creating something and then you have them up on your walls mm-hmm. um you know a, as well the creative space where you're getting inspired by the people who walk through as well um how does that how does that translate into your business? How does that translate into the beers that you make of, you know, having people who also want to share their creativity while tasting your creativity? Um, I think it, I think it translates amazingly well. Whether it was something we we knew from the beginning, um, I can't say for sure. We we put this coasters here it was a was an idea from one of our co-founders, and uh, he designed the coaster for us, and we we're like, all right, let's let's do that. You know, it looks like a lot of empty space in the back. Yeah, um, and it took it took a form of its own. I mean, people are just they're doing this. I don't even know how many thousands of these we have uh, saved, and uh, and like you said, we post them on a, on a bulletin board. There, we pick one every week, uh, if not bi-weekly, and uh, and put on social media. And, and kudos to the person who did it. There's some amazing art that comes out of them. It's really amazing. Uh, we we were always kind of creative in that sense. Uh, in the back, I want to say, with the with the beers and the brewery, the, the, the beer making that we do. Yeah. Uh, hence the name Sketchbook. People ask why Sketchbook. Well, because we feel like beer is community, beer is art, um, and we're always thinking. It's not just let's make another 
whatever put in cans and how can we make it cheaper so we can make more margin yeah <laughs> no it's basically you know uh, on the naming the story that goes behind uh, the, the beer and, and the cans um, the artwork uh, the recipes themselves uh, you know instead of just using Belgium candy sugar on our on our double and, and, and uh, quad we, we use a, a Mexican uh, panela sugar because okay. we found a way to get kind of introduce that culture in it and it's you know it doesn't doesn't come across the, uh, the Atlantic, and, uh, yeah. and it's 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 more fun that way. So we, we kind of see that kind of kind of percolate back and forth. Um, and with everything that we do on the space that people are coming in to enjoy their time, uh, from like you said, you know, uh, right now at least what we've had in the last three and a half years at the tap room is like you know, curating and choosing used stools that we get from places. You know, it's actually a lot, believe me, it's a lot harder than just going to buy. 20 stools somewhere yeah <laughs> um because we kind of want to bring that creativity uh, i before i forget i wanted to say my uh my business partner's wife she's a painter and a, and a poet so there's art art you know kind of like kind of embedded here, here. yeah <laughs> we're always thinking i mean the chair thing that you mentioned um we were thinking about the chairs as soon as we had the first drawing of the space okay. it wasn't like an afterthought oh gee we need chairs we're, th- we're thinking about that from the get-go. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see what happens as you guys continue to grow. This is uh, it's an exciting time. It is. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for sitting down and talking with me. I really appreciate this. This has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun, and I hope uh, people come up to uh, the former seat of the temperance movement and, uh, you know, and drink some good beer with you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. It was great, uh, great to see you here. Thanks again. That's Caesar Marin of Sketchbook Brewing in Evanston, Illinois. My thanks to him for taking the time. And if you're ever visiting the Chicagoland area, make sure to head north and check out the taproom and his beers for yourself. And before we go, I wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Cigar City Brewing. Find yourself a bottle of vulgar expressions and double meanings and indulge on this full and balanced porter and imperial stout blend with flavors of baker's chocolate, chocolate-covered cherries, and blackstrap molasses that melds seamlessly with dark fruit, and alcohol spiciness that is imparted by the extensive barrel aging. Or, for something completely different, check out Sun Over the Yardarm, the 9.6% ABV breakfast martini-inspired ale that offers lime zest, orange peel, and a light cracker-like flavor to complement the beer's acidity and vanilla quality. Check these beers out and more at CigarCityBrewing.com. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insight into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players, making an impact, and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. So my thanks to everyone who's been listening over the last few weeks. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, I hope you'll do so and even leave a review to help other people find the show. We have some really fun episodes coming up over the next few weeks, and I hope you enjoy those as much as I will. I'm open to suggestions on guests, topics, and more. You can drop me a line at johnhall at beeredge.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L. Or you can reach out on Twitter at john underscore hall. Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and Andy Crouch makes sure I hit my deadlines, mostly. If you want to advertise, reach out to Ryan Newhouse at ryan at beeredge.com. And that's it. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I'm John Hall, and I'll be back next week to drink beer and think beer, and I hope you'll tune in. Cheers. Cheers.